0: May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Glad you're here today. I want to talk to you this morning uh, about this reading from 1 Corinthians. The big idea today is the power of the cross is more powerful than the wisdom of the world. The power of the cross is more powerful than the wisdom of the world. I want to read a little bit of an introduction to... Corinth, and then this letter to the Corinthians from William Barclay. Barclay is a an amazing historian, and I think it's helpful to get a little bit of knowledge about this place. The city of Corinth it contained four hundred thousand inhabitants and was the chief city of Greece when Paul visited it, being situated on a large isthmus where the commerce of the world passed. The inhabitants were Greeks, Jews, Italians, and a mixed multitude from everywhere sailors, merchants, adventurers, and refugees from all the world crowded the city, bringing with them the evils of every country, out of which grew many forms of human degradation. Religion and philosophy had been prostituted to low uses. Intellectual life was put above moral life, and the future life was denied that they might enjoy the present life without restraint. The church at Corinth was founded by Paul on his second missionary journey. While there, Paul made his home with Aquila and Priscilla, Jews who had been expelled from Rome, but who now became members of the church. Apollos preached to this church and aided it in Paul's absence. Both epistles are full of information as to the condition of the church and the many problems which it had to face from time to time. It must be remembered that Corinth was one of the most wicked cities of ancient times, and that the church was surrounded by heathen customs and practices. Many of its members had, been, had but recently converted from heathenism to Christianity, and the church was far from ideal. And then the letter itself says, uh, Unfavorable news had come to Paul concerning the Corinthian church, and he had written them a letter which had been lost. In that letter, it seems to have commanded them to give up their evil practices, and promised, he promised to visit them. In the meantime, members of the household of Chloe and other friends came to him at Ephesus and brought news of their divisions and of the evil practices of certain of their members. And finally they wrote him a letter asking his advice on certain matters. From all this we learned that there were four factions among them, that there was gross immorality in the church, and in the the case of an incestuous person, that they went to court with one another, and that many practical matters troubled them. Paul, therefore, wrote to correct all these errors in doctrine and in practice. So the church in Corinth was in a very difficult, interesting situation. Not All was not well. And again, in Corinth, they had their challenges. Center of commerce, different cultures. There were 50 different ideologies. Um, religions differed. There were 12 temples. There were 1,000 temple prostitutes in Corinth, There was a verb in Greek to Corinthianize, which meant to act in a particularly immoral way. It was an actual word that was in the characterized people in this city lived. This is what they're dealing with. This is what they're up against. But I would say that in in Corinth, the church was not being persecuted. It was being co-opted by the culture. How many of you remember Sunday Blue Laws? Sunday Blue Laws, when I grew up in western New York, Sunday Blue Laws, nothing happened on Sunday. Nothing was open on Sunday. You went to church on Sunday, right? And then it started. They cracked the door just a little bit, and they said, okay, here's what you can do. You can go to the drugstore to get a prescription. That you probably need to do it. You can go to the drugstore, but when you go to the drugstore, that's all you can get, just a prescription. Well, then they expanded it to something called Necessary Items, I forget what was on that list. But now you could get a prescription and necessary items. Okay. Well, if you're going to go to the pharmacy, you're probably going to drive, and you might need gas, so gas stations could open on Sunday. And then restaurants, and then stores. Sunday is now probably one of the most active sale days in our country. And it started out not that long ago in my lifetime, which is not that long ago, (laughs) that nothing was open, you know. How about youth sports? When you grew up, you you didn't play sports on Sunday. Your kids didn't play sports on Sunday, organized sports, right? In the late 80s, we're in Illinois, and they started, our, our boys, Liam and Donald, were big soccer players, very good. They were on a traveling team. And they said, "Well, we're going to think we're, we're going to play on Sunday." And Kathy and I said, "Well, you can play on Sunday, but Lee McDonald's they are not playing on Sunday." And then others found out that our boys weren't playing, so they said, "Well, our kids aren't playing either." And they didn't do it. Now later on, they did. So now Sunday is a huge youth sports day, it really is, wherever it might be, activities, dancing, whatever. So the the the, the so it's like the church has been co-opted by. By the culture. We see it in things like drag queens and libraries, Super Bowl Sunday ad lineup, perfectly normal, the LGBT normalization of that, wokeness, pronouns, all these kinds of things. Um, look at the wisdom of the world, Darwin. Life sprang out of inanimate objects versus creation. You know, God created the heavens and the earth. And when you start to think about it in a rational way, that Darwinian understanding of how life got started makes absolutely no sense, and nobody can defend it. I've, I've heard them try to do it, and it doesn't work. Um, the difference between men and women, and God, God created them in his own image. God created the male and female and no other kinds. Abortion. Most deaths in 2022 were due to an abortion in the United States. All of the wars that we have fought since the Revolutionary War, we have given 1.1 million lives. That's all of the fatalities in all the wars that we have fought from the Revolution up through now, 1.1 million. Since we've had an abortion in this country, 61 million babies have lost their lives. gives you an idea. Erosion in our schools, parents, family, there's there's an effort to divide parents, from their children, there's an effort to disrupt the nuclear family. All these things are happening now in our midst, in our world and the world in which we live. And it may not be exactly the same as it was in Corinth, but Corinth had its challenges, we have our challenges. And Paul said to the church, we need to speak up and the church today in America needs to find its voice. And I hope that we're doing that. God has something to say about that, but not the culture culture thinks it's all normal if you think about symbols think back to the big idea the power of the cross is more powerful than the wisdom of men things have symbols like buddhism has the lotus flower judaism has the star of david islam has the crescent soviet union had the hammer and sickle the nazis had the swastika democrats have a donkey republicans have an elephant and i think every sports team known to man has a symbol Christianity had no symbol for 200 years. They would make the sign of the cross maybe with their foot in the, or not the sign of the cross, they would make a fish in the dirt, and that meant that you were a believer, and you know, or they might say Jesus is Lord, but they didn't have a symbol. The cross wasn't there for 200 years. Very unexpected when they did introduce it it was to the world it was moronic crazy stupid had no value what are you doing crucifixion was the worst of the worst and it was for the lowest of low criminals and it was used to deter criminal activity they would crucify people at the intersect at major intersections so on every corner you'd have somebody crucified this is to deter crime there had been an uprising in the time of jesus when he was alive there was an uprising and in order to React to that, uh, Rome crucified two thousand people on the road to Jerusalem, one thousand on each side. And I don't know what you know about it, but when you were crucified, your feet were inches from the ground— inches, not feet. You weren't way up there. You were inches from the ground. Dogs could come and have a lot, have eat you. Animals. Uh, they they had you on the cross until sometimes you just fell off. Birds would come and do whatever they wanted to do. It was unbelievably bad. And the people thought no deity would do this. No deity would die this way. For for us to have a cross, for me to have a cross back then would be, in our day, for me to have a um, an electric chair around my neck or a gas chamber around my neck or a noose around my neck. That's what they would have thought if I had shown up with a cross, back in those days. But Paul, Paul had a different idea. Here he is in First Corinthians, second chapter. He says, "For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified." Lifting up the value of the cross to people. The cross stands in judgment over the sinful pride of the human race. And a couple of groups struggle with this: the Jews and the Greeks. To the Jews, it was a stumbling block, and to the Greeks, it was folly, Paul says today. So the Jews were unhappy with it because if you hung on a tree, there was a problem. And if a man has committed a crime punishable by death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night upon the tree, but you shall bury him the same day, for a hanged man is accursed by God. So they couldn't understand how a crucifixion would be something of honor, something that God would do. And they were also looking for signs, big-time signs. They were looking for someone who would come and overthrow the Romans and reinstall Israel as the rightful rulers in the kingdom of Israel. Okay, this this wasn't happening. That wasn't who Jesus was. That's not what he came to do. But other things, you know, he, he did miracles. Holy cow, did he do miracles? He did a miracle that was, only, that was reserved for the Messiah, healing the blind. Nobody in the Old Testament was ever healed of blindness that was reserved for the Messiah. Jesus healed a lot of people of blindness. He raised people from the dead. He, res- he was resurrected from the dead. When, they, when he when raised Lazarus from the dead, that's when they said, oh, we really got to get rid of this guy because he was a threat. It wasn't that they were thinking he was the Messiah. He was a threat to them, and, the, and they had to get rid of him. Even when he saw again those miracles, they said, "It's not enough, not enough." And I think in our day we see miracles here. We've seen miracles in our church. You know, with living waters in here. You know, people have been healed of, of really serious physical issues and problems, and many people have said, "Hallelujah! God is God is real. God is present. God is active in our midst, even today." And others saw it, the same thing, and said, ah, that's so, I'm so happy for you. What time is lunch? When's the game? You know, didn't have any effect on them. And that's how it was back then with, with the Jews. Then the Greeks couldn't understand it because to them the, the cross was foolishness because their understanding of the gods, were, they were apathetic, and they had no feeling at all about the creation, certainly no feeling at all about man, could care less about us, and they would, they would not suffer for us, much less die for us. What a, what, a, what a crazy notion, what a crazy thought. It made absolutely no sense to them. So there are two kinds of people, those who are perishing and those who are being saved. And to those who are perishing, the cross is foolishness. I don't know if you've ever tried to share the gospel with somebody who said who thinks they've got it all together. Self-reliant, hard sell. I know somebody who's been working on a friend of his for how long? 20, 25 years. He's a good guy. He's a friend of Bernardo's, but Bernardo keeps trying, keeps plugging away. He doesn't give up. But this guy thinks he knows it all. I'm right, you're wrong, pretty much, right? Maybe you know people like that. The wisdom of the world, it's a very, very hard sell. And often the most educated people have the least regard for the Isaiah quote. And that would be, Isaiah says, Therefore, behold, I will again um, do marvelous things with this people. Wonderful and marvelous and the wisdom of the wise men shall perish, and the discernment of their discerning men shall be hid. Okay? There's something about God's wisdom versus man's wisdom, and it doesn't really compete. It was being saved. When I came to grace in 1998, God gave me two words, sanctified transformation, Sanctified transformation. And that went along with the whole idea of what salvation, the three-step thing about process. It's justification, sanctification, glorification. Justification, it's when I realize my, my condition as a sinner. I realize there's nothing I can do about it. I realize that Christ died for me, that I might be reconciled with the Father through the Son in the power of the Holy Spirit. I put my faith in him, and I thank him for what he did for me on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin. I become a Christian. I become a Jesus follower, spirit-filled follower of Jesus Christ. Now that idea of sanctification takes over, and I'm becoming what Christ has always called me to be. I live my life a different way. I see things differently. I react differently. It's a whole, my value set has changed. It's all different. And then finally, glorification, glorification. That's when we're with him. We're in that glorified body. I can't wait to see what Elton Clemens looks like. Imagine that. I do know he's 35. I got that much. Then there's the wisdom of God. God saves with a method that insults human pride and wisdom. And I, you know, I, I don't know. I hesitate in a way to use this example, but it just hit me. I said this on Wednesday to the kids. Has anybody ever heard of Tom Brady? What does Tom Brady do? All right, when you're a National Football League player, what is the goal that you have when you put on that uniform and you go play for, one, for your team? What do you want to do ultimately? What? Win what? Super Bowl, that's right. If you get a Super Bowl ring and a whole career, you've made it, man. You're, how many has Tom Brady, how many Super Bowl rings does Tom Brady have? Seven. Seven. And he did that mainly with the Patriots, and he got one, I think, with the Bucks. Then he had kind of a mediocre career, and he wanted to, his wife wanted him to retire. He wanted to play. cost him his marriage. To stay playing football cost him his marriage. And now he had a mediocre season, and I've heard him interviewed, and he seems miserable. He seems lost. He doesn't know what ne- what's next. I don't know. Uh, he just really just, uh, it hurt me. It, it made me sad. And here's a guy that had achieved everything the world had said you need to have if you follow this path, this course, seven Super Bowl rings. What could be better? Holy cow. But he seems lost. Have you ever heard of a guy named Tim Tebow? Now, Tim Tebow, he played for, um, oh, Florida. That's right. He played for Florida. Florida. Brought his team to a national championship, Heisman Trophy winner, and he played professional football. He's with the Denver Broncos, right? He won a playoff game with the Denver Broncos. I found this out the other day. I thought it was interesting. That playoff game that he won, that pass that he threw to win the game, it was third and 16. When the guy caught the ball, there was three minutes and 16 seconds left on the clock. What did Thibault always have under his eye? John 3.16. Why do you think he didn't continue a football career? Because he was too much of an outspoken Christian. And the team said, you're an embarrassment. Leave your faith at the door, and then you can come play football. And he said, I don't think so. My faith is more important to me than football. That's a godly understanding of life, of purpose, of meaning. Okay? Now, What kind of an effect has Tim Tebow had on the world? A lot. He's out there building hospitals. He's building schools. He's helping the poor. He's bringing the faith to to people all over the world. God is blessing him in ways we can't even imagine. And because he's blessing Tim Tebow, he's blessing the world through him. And to me, it just seems like one followed the way of the world, and I wish nothing but good things for Tom Brady. And I don't know anything about his faith, but I wish he'd come closer to Christ. And you see what happened when somebody rejected that and went the way of God, and what God is doing through him. It's, it's amazing. Let every pulpit rightly say, we preach Christ crucified. The strong church once subscribed these words on an archway leading to the churchyard. Over time, two things happened. The church lost its passion for Jesus and his gospel, and ivy began to grow in the archway. The growth of the ivy, covering the message, showed the spiritual decline. Originally, it said strongly, we preach Christ crucified, but the ivy grew. But as the ivy grew, one could only read, we preach Christ. And the church also started preaching Jesus the great man, Jesus the moral example, instead of Christ crucified. The ivy kept growing, and one could soon only read, we preach. The church also had even lost Jesus in the message, preaching religious platitudes and social graces. Finally, one could only read, we. And the church also just became another social gathering place, all about we and not about God. And I think that's the the state of too many churches today. If we believe what this passage that was read this morning from 1 Corinthians teaches. It will change the way we look at ourselves and it will change the way we talk about ourselves. Some of us talk so much about ourselves that we hardly talk about the Lord at all. Our real problem is the vast difference between our view and God's view. We look at the outward, God looks at the inward. We value popularity. God values character. We look at intelligence. God looks at the heart. We honor those, who, with, those with money. God honors those with integrity. We talk about what we own. God talks about what we give away. We boast about whom we know. God notices whom we serve. We list our accomplishments. God looks for a contrite We value education. God values wisdom. We love size. God notices quality. We live for fame. God searches for humility. Our view is shallow. God's view is deep. Our view is temporary. God's view is eternal. Wisdom, the power of the cross, is greater than the wisdom. The past that held regret over my head is gone. These chains are ashes now that once were rusted on. I was a away, Now I am finally home. My mind was a ghost town haunted by yesterday. Until your hand reached down, pulled me out of my into the freedom found, only in Jesus' name. I am forgiven, no longer lost. I thank you Thank you for the cross so loved the world that he gave his only son that all who believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life.